This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This month's bonus material is, well, there's going to be two. One of them is Alan and I going through your emails of podcast suggestions and trying to make a plan for the future. So a little bit of behind the scenes there about how we kind of put these things together and the back and forth that goes on. And then the other bonus material is me singing. Well, actually, it's a conversation with my pal Clelia Murphy, who you might know from Fair City or from Dancing with the Stars. And um, she lives in my 5K. So we've been going for socially distant walks. And we just had a, a chat about about life, about what I used to do before I was a writer, about her experience of being an actor on a soap. And then she made me sing a song, um, which which was very uncomfortable. And there's now about, yeah, like over 160 of you um, who have subscribed to Headstuff Plus. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. Those 160 people get bonus material every month. And... If you also want to be part of the Headstuff Plus community, you it's five euro a month or more if you want. And you can register by going on to headstuffpodcasts.com forward slash register. And that'll bring you right in there to it. Hello and welcome to Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner. And today I have the person that you all want to hear from, Professor Luke O'Neill. He needs no introduction. He is here chewing on a mini roll and drinking a cup of tea. Thank you very much. Nice mini roll. Great. Yeah. Keep me going, you know. <laughs> um, Luke, you are, you're a rock star. I've had so many people. First of all, shout out to Sinead Keary, who's your biggest fan. Say hello to her. Hello, Sinead. <laughs> and Grace Ann McDermott and all of her pals. Very good, Grace Ann. How's they it going? All love <laughs> so we have a number of questions that we will get to. Yep. But first, can you can you bring us some good news or something? Like it's February the second today. People are going to hear this tomorrow. Yep. What's going on? Every hour I get updates on this damn virus, Stephanie, as you know, from all kinds of sources, scientific mainly. But yesterday, it's working in Israel. The vaccine. We've the first evidence now that in the field, as it were. Yeah. Because Israel has vaccinated a, so many half people. their population now wow, is vaccinated okay. with the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Yeah. And are they the, only using Pfizer? They are mainly, yeah, okay. they put a big order in on November. They were clever. Netanyahu himself actually went to negotiate with the CEO of Pfizer. Oh, wow. And they got a big supply and they paid a premium to get lots of vaccine in. And that'll be them. And it's 90% efficacious. So it's tremendous. Half the population vaccinated. All the over 60s are done, right? And they're now showing a 30% decrease in death rate and hospitalization rate in the over 60s. So it's oh, really cool. good evidence now that it's kicking in, you see. There's a friend of mine in Israel in the Weizmann Institute, which is a very famous biomedical institution there. Aaron Siegel is his name. And he, had a, he sent a tweet out, which I retweeted. The magic has begun. Wow. Is how we fr- isn't that great? So now again, it's a work in progress as ever, and we got to keep an eye on it. But th- that vaccine is working in spades, basically. And remember, the ultimate goal overall is to decrease the death rate, decrease cases, decrease hospitalization, and then there's also really good projections by modelers saying, look. If 75% of deaths are over 65, if we protect them, we can project the following vista. And what it is in Ireland, probably late April, early May, you'll see a 95% decrease in these horrible metrics that we keep hearing. In the metrics of death and hospitalizations. Death and and ICU admissions, all those numbers that we look at, they will plummet because we're protecting the most vulnerable in our community, you see, with the vaccine. So that's all, you know, to look forward to, I suppose. I think that's going to really come true. So the vaccine is going to... We don't know yet whether the vaccine stops transmission of the virus. And so that is because I heard um, 
the Taunashta and the Taoiseach both say, you know, like we keep we have to keep the masks and the distancing and all that up even when the vaccine happens. And they're talking about not having Christmas this year and stuff. Why, like, why are they being so pessimistic if you're saying in April all this is yeah. going to start plummeting? I hadn't heard that one about Christmas. Well, you see, um, it's true. We don't know if you can prevent transmission. Now, what's happening there is interesting. So the vaccine goes into your arm, in your muscle. Yeah brings out the immune troops in your lungs in huge numbers. Right. But not as many in your nose because the immune system can't quite get up to your nose. Right? Okay. And that means a virus might come into your nose and grow a bit there. Okay. Never gets to your lungs because the troops beat it up on the way down kind of thing. You know? So you're fine, no, but you're walking around with virus coming out of your nose. You don't get sick because it's not in your body and it's not making you ill with respiratory distress and all that kind of thing. So you don't feel sick at all. You have no symptoms, actually, but you still might be slightly infectious. And we still don't know if this is the case or not. But again, the Israelis are saying they're seeing a third decrease in transmission. So maybe this vaccine will and stop. And is Israel saying. currently open, wide open? Are they in some sort of lockdown? No, well, that's the other problem. They're a bit restricted, yeah. But their case numbers are still high. So what's happening there probably is the non-vaccinated group are young people, right? right. And they're getting infected, but they're fine. Their, their immune systems work great. They don't get sick. You know, it's fantastic. So, so once you're hearing that some people are like one of the people who died last week was 30 years old, no underlying yeah. conditions. Well, again, it's always statistical, remember. So okay, you're, you're going so to have a range. Now, we know that I think the numbers are something like 0.1% of people under the age of 50 will have a difficult disease. That, and okay. that, that sadly is going to happen, but it's a tiny minority, you know, because very sorry for the people who do get sick with it. But the vast majority of young people do great and children do superbly well. Now, again, there'll be one or two awful cases. I'm not taking away from the importance of those. Yeah, I guess that's important to understand. So we, obviously, when you're vaccinating a whole population, a whole planet, there are going to be individual heartbreaking stories that we're going to hear. And that's not to take away from them, but that they're just the unlucky ones, but there will be unlucky ones. Yeah, health is a very unlucky thing. Some people get cancer, some people don't. Some people have the best exercise regimen ever and still get a heart attack, remember. So there's no guarantees when it comes to health. You look at averages then in a yes. population as a whole, you know. Now, if you're over 80, you're in trouble with this one. 10% death rate there, you see. That's high. Yeah. Under 50 0.1% death rate I think at the moment so and then and if they build up natural immunity that's great as well you see so we're going to see a mix of vaccination and natural immunity happening now why would the T-shock be worrying well we've got to wait till everybody's vaccinated really now by that I mean 80% of the population that, yeah, that's so the we level we've got to get to because there's always a risk of someone yeah. getting infected and getting sick you see so until you've got to the 80% we will have to keep wearing the masks and so on but they have to res- uh, relieve some of the restrictions because if the death rate plummets down to 0.1% say overall yeah. and if the hospitals are no longer full of you can't justify ca- it you can't because the harm you're doing with the measures outweigh then you know the uh, which is why they have said they're they're, they're not really looking at case numbers because the case numbers may still climb, but as long as the ICU numbers are coming down, that's what we're looking at now. Precisely. When, and the number of deaths come down, that's yep. when we can start to look at reopening. Exactly. And, and then the last thing to worry about is long COVID because you will have a certain percent of people who get infected, beat the virus. In fact, they clear it from their bodies. It's called sterilising immunity. Yeah. And some of them tragically go on to have symptoms for months and months and months. I had a no message from a girl yesterday who is a Garda um, runs every day, you know, like really healthy young woman, no underlying conditions, got COVID in in November, caught it, fought it, was fine. Hasn't been able to walk up the stairs since without losing her breath. Yeah. Hasn't been able to go for a run without getting a pain in her lungs that ends her up in hospital. Yeah. No, it's horrible. 
And do we know what is Horrible. that? Like, well, it was seen before. Any virus can trigger this. It's called post-viral fatigue was one name for it. Okay. And it's, it's a well-worn area, to be honest, and very serious. And and years of research hasn't really told us much about it. It's, it's, I know it sounds a bit unfortunate, but people are investigating this. Because if people are saying, oh, it's fine because, you know, now in Israel, like the young people are getting COVID, but they're not dying. So once we have the dying people vaccinated, like if people are getting long COVID, yeah. that's not something we also want them to have. And the vaccine protects against that, by the way. Oh, does it? Absolutely. Because you get long COVID because you've got a pretty strong immune response to the virus. Okay. And it does a good job. It kills the virus and no more virus. But the immune system has been reset. Okay. And that persists against your own body. It's probably some kind of autoimmune type syndrome, we think, you know. And now your your immune system's too active. And then you begin to feel tired, fatigue. It's as if you're infected, basically. Yeah. Right? Joint pain, brain fog. And that, that they're symptoms of, of, of infection anyway. So for some reason, the immune system goes off kilter. And we'd love to know more about that and try to understand it. And it does seem to be more common in COVID. So even though it happens with flu or other viruses, it seems much more common with, with COVID-19 COVID. patients. So again, and, and again, just to re-emphasize, massive research happening on this because it's a great opportunity, I suppose, to study this syndrome, if you like, and that could apply to other infectious diseases then, you know. So I read a headline that you were quoted. You're, how are you finding being the superstar quoted in the media all the time? Do you um, love it? It's, 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 it's a responsibility. Well, I'll tell you one thing Uh, it will pass. (laughs) It will. People are going to get fed up with me, especially when this goes away. So it's only for a little while, I suppose. I don't mind. I mean, well, your headline always bring your headlines bring joy, but this one was we'll all be having beers in the sun in a beer garden in June. I'm blaming Jennifer O'Connell, right? What she said to me was, Luke, when are we going to be in a beer garden having you know fun? And I said, June. I didn't say we are going to. Yes, okay. I don't mind, that's fine. Um, That's not an unrealistic goal. Because first of all, you're outdoors, which Mm -hmm. is great. Secondly, it will be restricted. There won't be gangs of feet within beer gardens. You may have gaps between tables and limited time and so on. But still, let's aim for being out in a beer garden in June, you know, because that would be a good thing to think. I think it was important. It's important to look forward to. It's definitely really important for all of us. I think that was it. Like in... The last lockdown, we had Christmas to look forward to. And I do think, like, even though we are seeing a huge fallout from Christmas, people needed that mental reprieve. Now we're paying for it, but I still think people wouldn't have been able to cope. And now January was so long. We're into February. Spring is kind of, you know, I saw a daffodil. (laughs) So, like, things are happening. Um, But we do need something to look forward to. And when the Tishik and the Tonishta come out, and I understand that they're trying to um, communicate how severe this is, but... When we're looking down the lens of like, you're not going to be able to fly home for Christmas, not to mind summer holidays, it's just a bit grim, isn't it? It is grim. I suppose they're managing expectations partly, in a sense. you got to say, look, this is a, the worst case scenario possibly. And yes. That's okay. But I think it's a very funny time now, isn't it? Because we got to think about people's mental health all the time now. Because I was any kind of hoping to help them is great, you know? that the vaccine was was sort of a panacea, was going yeah. to be this thing that would solve all. And I think a lot of people are like, when am I getting my vaccine? Because they think that when they get their vaccine, they can get on a flight to Portugal. But realistically, why are people like, why are people so eager? Should people be so eager to get their vaccine if it's not going to change? Like, unless you're getting the vaccine because you are terrified of dying, yeah. then there's not much else the vaccine is going to change for yeah. you. I think it's partly in case the supply chain is hit or something like okay. that. So you know it's, toilet I mean? so it's toilet paper. It's toilet paper. Yeah, care. it's that kind of thing. They're going like, well, hang on a minute. Because if, if they were to make a statement and go, Christmas is back to normal, yeah. we'd all go, 
that's unacceptable as well. And how do you know that? And if we don't get that, then you haven't delivered on that promise. Yeah. So there's a touch of politics about it. And that, that's why we need the science in a sense. And, and we're watching Israel like a hawk because they are the canary in the coal mine. Now, they will have vaccinated their entire country probably in about four weeks, five, six weeks time frame. But all with Pfizer. All with Pfizer, yeah. So we need, a lot of people have come in and asked us about the difference between the vaccines, yeah. so we're going to get to that. That's another important one, yeah. But are I we mean, looking to Israel, like is it kind of silly to look to them because they're vaccinating all their people with one? No, well, you're right in a sense that's a great vaccine for definite. It's giving 90% plus decreased risk, which is superb. Mm-hmm. So it is the gold standard actually now. We've all got to compete against that one. The other vaccines have to be you know, seen as, as being compet- competitive with that one, I suppose. So you're right in a sense that they have the best vaccine in town kind of thing, you know. But even if you have a 60, 70% efficacious vaccine, that's still pretty good, remember. Yeah. It just means it takes a bit longer, maybe, you know. That, that's one way to think of it. So, because there's still a bit of infection burning around, you see, the vi- it's all about getting this or not down. Yes. You see, you got to get that down below one and then... You, Which you we know, have now. We have absolutely. And the vaccine does that, remember. Okay. Because if you've vaccinated loads of people, then there's less spread going on in a way, you know. But we don't know that. Well, well... If, we don't know that they can't spread it. If, if, well, unless, the, if the Israelis are right, with this at least 30% decrease spread, okay. that would cause a decrease in the R number, you see. And I'm pretty confident anyway, these vaccines will stop some spread. And any contribution that will mean over time then, it goes away. So it might just take a little bit longer. It might take a bit longer. And I suspect that's why maybe that's why they said Christmas in a sense, because maybe it'll stretch out to then. Now, I'm more optimistic for definite, because looking at these modelers and what they're saying, if we get to June and it's 0.1% mortality and it's dribs and drabs of people ending up in hospital, and that's the way it is, right? How can you lock the country down in that situation? It just seems very difficult to justify that. Um, is Is it possible that COVID is just going to be around forever in a bit like so that we vaccinate 80% of the population and then two year, we, we go out and we do our electric picnics and everything's kind of back to normal and then it's like oh in you know Lanesborough UK and Madrid Spain yeah. there's been a COVID outbreak and that like we'll hear of forever more like little pockets that are shut down we will yeah you that, don't think it'll ever go away it'll never away. fully go away um, when you get to this 80% number yeah then it goes what's called endemic. And that means it's very hard to spread. A virus is very hard to spread if you have 80% coverage in the population, you see. That's yes, the first thing okay. to say. So then it goes endemic, which means it's always burning somewhere, little cases here and there. The vulnerable are protected, remember. They're not going to get sick and die, which is great. Younger people, if they if they weren't vaccinated and get infected like a cold, it'll be a minor disease, you see. Okay. So the future is going to be vaccinate the vulnerable every winter, just like the flu. And children start vaccinating. Oh, so we're going to have to do this every year. Uh, maybe we don't know. If the vaccine gave two, three years protection, that's great. And know. is that about how long the vaccine takes to wear off, or how quickly COVID can learn what the vaccine is and adapt to avoid it? That's your second worry. So the two worries here: one is that the the immune system might wane over time. Okay, so it kind of forgets the it message. Forgets, yeah, and, and dies off or whatever it is. You know? And then you need another vaccination to, to bring the immune system up again. You know, That's one scenario. And then the other one is these strains. That's, that's our next concern, actually, that mutants arise yeah. and the vaccine doesn't work at all, say, against them. That's the do worst we, case scenario do now. Do we have any strains so far that the vaccine is resistant to? We have two strains and the lab-based work suggests the vaccine won't work as well against them. Now, what is, won't work as well? It, that was the first bit of data, by the way. When but was now, that? But now we have Johnson & Johnson um, saying that their vaccine in the wild 
in the trial, if you like, didn't yeah. work as well against the South African strain. Now, by not well, it means it goes down to 59% efficacy or something Which we like still that. would have taken if that was... Great. Over 50 is great. Yeah, okay. Any vaccine over 50, 60% works okay. and slows things down. And, and very importantly, by the way, um, and this is a thing people have missed as well, what the vaccine does is it, you may well get infected if you've had the vaccine, but you won't be getting very sick. Yeah, because I have a lot of nurses following me on Instagram and they got their COVID vaccination. Now, in fairness, they only got the first dose. Then they got COVID and then obviously had to isolate, but they didn't have the sort of very severe symptoms that some of the other people did have. And all the vaccines are showing that. In other words, if you've been vaccinated and you happen to get infected, you're not going to end up in the ICU because you've got a bit of immunity to fight the thing. In other words, it it, it doesn't fully protect you, but it stops you getting very sick. It does its job, basically. I think that what's happened is that people thought that the vaccination was the door through which we could go back to our own lives. But actually, it's the door that puts, closes you from ICU or death. Yeah, precisely. That's the main, exactly. Yeah, so that's the great thing. In other words, you can be rest assured if you've been vaccinated. You're not going to die, but you might well, not be able to go to Ayanapa. And again, again, the numbers are amazing. The, 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 the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. After 49 days, after they've given you that single shot, there was zero people ending up in hospital who were vaccinated. Zero ending up with severe disease. It fully protected that population. It took 49 days because the immune system has to learn. But they were still catching it. They were still catching it. Does that mean that they still have to go into their room for 14 days and all that stuff and their close contacts have to be contacted? We don't. That's a good question. Are they still transmitting it? Getting back to that idea, I suppose. Yeah. So we have to find out about that. We don't know. Because it, I think that's the disruption that people are like, oh, I, do, I need this 14 day, 10 day, two meters, all that data to be like, just yeah. can I just go to Blanchardstown yeah. Shopping Centre and look at the things? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, at a minimum, we know now the following. If you're vaccinated and you're in an older category for definite. You're not you, going to die. Your risk is massively lower. So you can probably go out and meet people because if you, if you do get infected, it isn't, it isn't going to really make you very ill. And that's tremendous, isn't it? That, that's the you hit first base with that. Yes. Okay. Second base is we'll take that. You're not, if you yourself are infected, you're not going to infect your grandmother. You know, that's what you want next, really. You know. And how long, will, when will we get that data? It's a work of massive effort now in Israel, for, for example. And okay. how you do it is interesting. So you vaccinate someone. Yeah. And then you take swabs out of their nose every few days to right. see if any virus can be detected there. That's how they get this 33% idea, you know. And it wasn't done during the trials because it's a bit laborious to do, you see. Of course. But in Israel, they're swabbing everybody, not everybody, a sample of, this, of the vaccinated. And just, is any virus grown in that guy's nose or not? If they can show no virus or very low levels in someone's nose who's been vaccinated, then it won't transmit. And the other thing okay. to say, by the way, is it's about dose. So at a minimum, you'll have less virus up your nose if you're vaccinated and you may spread it to someone else, but it's a tiny dose and that won't make them sick, you know, because okay. it's very dose viral, dependent. Because the, that person's immune system can cope with that little bit. Exactly. Of, precisely. Okay. Yes. Yeah, low level. And even better, that person then may be like being vaccinated because they'd have a slight immune response. They won't get sick and now they're protected. You know? So in other words, you'll well, see natural immunity. Like some people who caught COVID back in the first wave have caught it again. So yeah. what we know is that it's you don't become immune to COVID by having COVID. So well, those people will still need vaccinations, won't they? But well, they won't be prioritised. But again, that's a, that's, a, that's a work in progress. So, so there is evidence of reinfection for definite. Not many, though. It's a rare enough event. That's the first thing in terms of numbers overall. Uh, a great study again last week, and the uh, NHS reported this, or, or the Public Health England, it's called PHE. They said that uh, from their analysis, if you've been infected naturally, it decreases your risk of reinfection by 87%. They gave a number on it. That's as good as a vaccine. Because remember, the vaccines are giving you 90% protection against getting infected. 
if that holds up, that means we can be much more confident that being infected, on average, means that you won't get reinfected. And if so that's does that true, mean that tremendous. people who have had COVID won't be getting vaccines? Precisely. Uh, well, not necessarily, but what they're saying now but at the moment be is, it's, if you've had COVID, here's a really good study this morning, literally every day these are coming out. So this morning, great study said the following, if you've been infected, it was healthcare workers, if you've been infected, a single shot of the Pfizer vaccine will protect you. Because it's almost like as if your infection was the first shot. And this is the boost. And it's the boost, precisely. And there's evidence cool. for that. And then the second thing about this that's really, really good is, and they recommend this, if you've been infected, then maybe wait a bit. If the vaccine supply is an issue, step back for a few weeks and let someone who hasn't been infected get the vaccine exactly. first. And that, that may be a recommendation that may come down the track because, again, we'd spare vaccine supply then for the um, the ones who need it more than you do. Now, again, you can, you can get vaccinated if you want. The recommendation is get vaccinated if you've been infected anyway. You can't deny people that. Yes. But let me just say, look, how about you step back step for a few back. weeks, this kind of thing. That, that may be it. If there's a supply issue, that would be a sensible thing to do. I want to talk to you about another podcast on our network uh, today. It's called That's Banging. If you like food and you like drink, this is a food and drink podcast. You're going to love it. That's Banging with Chris and Marcus. Hello, my friends, and welcome to That's Banging with me, Marcus Olera. And me, Chris Mellon. A new podcast celebrating everything good from farm to plate, ship to service, and field and fork. A celebration of everything tasty, fresh and excellent that's coming off our island at the moment. As well as interviews with people who are shaping the best of the best of food and drink from around the country. We'll be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, so I'm just going to get to some questions, right? Uh, hi Steph, could you ask Luke about the Sinopharm vaccine, please? I am living in the United Arab Emirates and the information isn't very clear. Is it safe? Should I take it if I'm offered it? Why isn't it available in the United States or the EU? Is there a political reason for this? Michael. That comes up a lot. So that vaccine, they haven't published the phase three trial, which makes us slightly not concerned, but we'd like to see a phase three trial published like with other vaccines. But they did a phase three trial. They, they did, they've done it, yeah. And so why won't they publish it? That's not clear, but they did publish the phase two. And it was safe and highly efficacious in the phase two. Now, the only difference between a phase two and three is more people. You okay. Know? But the phase two looks good to me. That, that, that phase two trial to me looks impressive. We also know it's been in millions of people now and we haven't heard of anything untoward. Now, you might think, are they hiding that or not? But surely they wouldn't pump it into their own people if there was something untoward in it. Precisely. Well, I think the Chinese probably were a bit aggressive there. And they said, look, it's an emergency. The phase two looks good. It's using a technology that's well-worn. This wasn't like the RNA vaccines, which were brand new. You know, they're using okay, so an old-fashioned way of doing things so were they, where it was safe with other vaccines. You see? Yes, so, okay. So they was, take a bit good. of the virus and they deactivate it. Precisely. Yeah. yeah, and that's a well-worn thing to do anyway. So nothing nothing unusual here. And they just said, let's go for it. Now, now again, it's not best practice. You would want a phase three trial. But I know I'm talking to people. It's been in, I think, 20 countries now, that vaccine including Argentina. Loads of people have had it. If anything had happened, we would have heard. You know? okay. So, so I, I would take that vaccine myself. But it's just that Europe and the US won't do it without phase three publication. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. That's right. And it could be a political thing as well because you've got to buy it off them, you know, so um, use your own vaccine kind of thing. Uh, why can't we buy vaccinations from the USA? That's an EU matter, of course. So the, okay. We're under the umbrella of the EU and we all row in together. Although the Germans went behind Brussels' back, they didn't involve their own supply for a while there. But, uh, but now the EU leads this and they've got seven different vaccines on order. 1.7 billion doses are coming into Brussels or whatever to be distributed around Europe. So it's great. Okay. Yeah. 
Great. Um, Niamh, um I'm sure you're likely to cover my questions, but I said them anyway. Could Luke give an insight into the Novavax vaccine? What the phase three results mean and why they might have results that could lead them to applying for approval? And could he talk about the J&J vaccine? I'm confused by all the different percentages protection given and how that compares to existing vaccines. Yep. Well, Friday was a great day. It, right. The sun came out on Friday. It's one of the misery of, of the end of January. Um, <laughs> for me, anyway, the sun was beaming down because three things happened. Early morning, I woke up as ever checked my phone as we all do yeah. at like 6.30 or something and Novavax results were there and it's a tremendous vaccine it gave 89% efficacy which is brilliant So where is that coming from? That's it. That's a US based vaccine okay. but that was done in the UK that trial 15,000 people and they got 89% efficacy the reason why we like Novavax is they released loads of data which was great it wasn't just like a one liner in a press yeah. release the data looks great Secondly, uh, I think a lot of over 60s, a lot of them were in that trial. Good response there. Great. Uh, thirdly, it's a different type of technology again. They're so using that to us. the spike itself now. So you know the way, um, th- what you do with a vaccine, of course, is you take a piece of the virus. Yeah. Now, the RNA vaccines, the RNA makes the spike through a thing called translation. It's the recipe for a spike, yep. right? This is using the spike itself. So you make the protein itself and inject that into people. So you're giving people the spike. So you're giving people the spike directly. And this is well known. Other vaccines are like this, by the way. A whooping cough is, a, is like this. It's a protein from the bug. And then it's good because it, just in case this hadn't worked, it's another technology, you know, that we could use. And is it possible that the... Now, I might be wrong because I'm not you, but the, some of the new strains are not spike protein like the virus the new strains of COVID they're not using the spike protein so would that mean that Novavax isn't efficacious against them? No not quite so what's happening is here which is the this is the concern we have now right? Okay. There are strains emerging and they've cloaked their spike so that therefore if you if like let's say we take the previous vaccine the previous bug yeah. had a spike the analogy I thought I came up with a great analogy for the Sunday Independent you always recently do. imagine the bad guy has a black hat on okay okay <laughs> that's the spike you show the immune system the black hat and you put up wanted posters with that black hat on it the cowboy arrives you recognize the black hat and you can arrest him put him in jail right okay the cunning guy has modified the hat a bit so and the immune hat. system has the wanted poster and doesn't quite match with the hat and doesn't recognise it. That, that's the fear. And now in the case of the virus, the spike is changing slightly in the virus, you see. Cleverly, because it wants to dodge being recognised. You know? Okay. And the new variants, the one, the South African one especially actually, and the Brazilian one, they've modified the spike in a few spots. Which Then the question is, can the immune system recognise the new spike? Because it was trained with the vaccine to recognise the old one, if you see what I mean. But if, so if there's... If some of the vaccines are injecting a spike, they might be injecting a the black hat where we need a blue hat now. Precisely. And then there are other ones that are teaching you how to make a hat. Exactly. But if they're teaching you, like, are there some vaccines that might be more efficacious against the hat well, issue? Well, what if you take the bad cowboy, right? right? Kill him and show him to the immune system. You recognise loads of parts of him. So and that would be Sinopharm. That's Sinopharm, precisely. Which is the Chinese one. And a European one called Valneva, which is now in trials. That That's a hold and activated bad guy. Okay. And that, that they've got loads of bits and they're very unlikely to form mutants that can't be recognised. You have to have too many changes. Okay, so because we've it actually got a picture slowly. of the bad guy. Exactly. Okay. And, it, and you might, even though his hat might change, you can recognise his belt or his, or his spurs or whatever the analogy <laughs> is. So, uh, 
So that's why those vaccines, and in fact, the Chinese one, may well work against all the variants because it's the whole inactivated. So thing. Mike in the UAE, go for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, would you mind asking Luke what his opinion knowledge, or knowledge is on heart transplant or transplant recipients getting the vaccine? There's different consultants and experts giving different advice. The majority are now saying for us to get it, although it might not give us enough of an immune boost, it would give us something. But is he aware of another vaccine or combination of vaccines that are coming down the line? He might have some input, Karen. That's a tricky one. I'm not a physician, sadly, but to, you'd have to ask the cardiologist, really. But I guess the fear there would be that someone has had that as has immunosuppressants. Yes. And then the vaccine mightn't work as well. But those sorts of things, you're much better off checking with the doc because there may be parts of your medical history that, that are, are relevant. Specific to you. Yeah, so, so, um, I've heard some doctors talking about it and how it's about measuring risk and like the risk to you of getting COVID yeah. versus the risk of this vaccine to you. And then it's about like, you know, the vaccine is the only game in town for you yeah, or exactly. you know but yeah, yeah I yeah. suppose it, precisely it's all about weighing up the risks basically and then yeah. going with the advice and no doctor can give you 100% on things anyway ever you it's know? all just risk assessment it's always risk yeah. so Karen unfortunately we are not in a position to give personalised medical advice but I, I'd be optimistic there yeah. I, th- I think but just double check it basically so we have two people Darina and Maria who have asked kind of the same question the million dollar question when do you feel Ireland will be back to normal as in large indoor gatherings no restrictions 300 people at a wedding, no hand sanitizer pre- present. Um, it's nearly, it's impossible to, but you're usually spot on with your predictions and it might give us some glimmer of hope because I feel like I'm drowning at the moment. There won't be any massive change for six months, I would predict, right? In other words, they're not going to say, let, let, let's say go, let's have a 500 person indoor wedding. That's unlikely in, in six months. Yes. Because it's cautious approach. Yeah. Now, if the vaccination campaign by September has delivered, which means 70% coverage of the population, mm-hmm. and that might take, you know, another few weeks after that, 70% just to make sure everybody's, their immune systems are now fully woken up, if you like, you might be able to think about a wedding in October, November. Now, what would the number of people be? They're going to be cautious. They won't go for 500. That's too many initially. So it'll be, it's, it's a bit like... Um, but when do you see... She's asking, like, when do you see... Fully back to normal. No, the government don't get involved in anything anymore. Like, you just do whatever you want like you used to. I'd say it'll be a year. From now. <laughs> yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah, and even then there'll be... It's a bit like World War Two. Right. There's still American troops in Germany. You know, let's yeah. put it that way. You know? In other words, th- there's going to be an awful period of, of, of hesitation and reluctance and caution has to be because it's been a, such a shock to yeah. our systems. I mean, the current generation of young people, they will divide their lives pre and post pandemic. When they're in grandparents, they're going to be going to their grandkids. Do you know what happened in 2020? And it's amazingly vivid, yeah. this experience. So that'll be in people's minds the whole time. So it's a worry. Now, you might have a situation where you have a 500 person wedding, let's say in December where everybody's antigen tested on the way in. And then if you're positive, you, you don't come in. And if you're negative, you're allowed into the wedding. That might be one thing. And secondly, they may even look for a vaccine, evidence of that. And then you're allowed to have a big wedding. Like a vaccine you know? passport. Yeah, that kind of thing might happen as well. So it's, it's difficult to, to say, but these things are in, will be in our minds as, as we approach those. I times. think what the answer to the question is that we're in, we're going to find it, and I hate this phrase, but a new normal. Like yeah. We're never going back to the no. way, like I don't ever predict ever anymore seeing like seeing a whole crowd of people black with people and yeah. not seeing anyone in a mask exactly. I think there's always yeah. going to be someone in a mask for now on. I think that there will be restrictions of various kinds for the next two three four years and then we forget about the bad times don't we and yeah. then people stop doing things but that, that'll be two three years down the line before you have an electric picnic yeah. say for example you know? if my family are coming from overseas to Ireland for the summer for a wedding and have received the vaccine before they travel do they still have to self-isolate for 14 days or does this only apply to people who do 
not have the vaccine? Well, I can answer this, which is that this isn't an immunology question. This is a government question. And the vaccine does not change yeah. any of the restrictions. Precisely. Yeah, that's the truth of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're going to still have to do that. Could you ask Luke to tease out some of the myths of the vaccine, in particular re-fertility and conception from a male and female point of view? I am aware of the guidelines for pregnancy and for breastfeeding, but they're not clear about contraception. Anne-Marie. There's no, well, there's, no, there's no work on that, sadly. We don't have any, any data around that. Uh, but other vaccines don't have any issue with fertility. So you can vaccinate people who want to conceive, say, and it wouldn't have any you know, negative effect there as far as we know. There's also Surely we would have heard by now if all given, of the people who have been vaccinated yeah, hadn't been able to... Absolutely. And there's something like tw- 30 million people have had the Pfizer vaccine. Isn't okay. that incredible? There's a number. I mean, think about it for a minute. <laughs> so definitely within 30 million people, there yeah. would be a huge proportion of women in there who That's right. probably have since gotten pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we don't have any concrete detail. Yeah. I I am a postponed 2020 bride. I want my family with me when I do get married. We are a small family, but I want them there. My question is, if I was Luke's daughter asking him for advice, when does he think it would be safe to ask 50 or 100 people to be in a room together? A good guess would be even a little help. 2021, 2022, we have very personal reasons for asking, but I want to do things right. I would, if I was yeah, the father of the bride in this question, <laughs> I'd say... Give it a good few months, you know. I wouldn't. I'd be certainly December, January, February at the earliest. We're going to see a hundred-person wedding happening, right? And it may well be, as I just said, with the restrictions of antigen testing and vaccination, for instance. If we're lucky, though, it could be pushed forward, but it's just, you know, it's too risky. But do you think it'd be safe for 2022 or 2023? Oh, definitely. 2022 for definite. Yeah, I'd be very confident there. After having COVID, how long am I immune for before I'm liable to catch it again? Or that if I'm a close contact, I have to self-isolate? Would the symptoms be worse if I got COVID easy the first time? Or would it not be as bad as before? Naomi. Well, as I was saying, so the, the evidence is mounting that if you've been infected, you will be protected against reinfected. That's the good news there. That's the first thing to say, right? Yeah. It may be the case that if you had a slightly more rough disease the first time around, you might be even more protected because your immune system really got going, you see. And now you're really in a good place in terms of training those troops in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. But but as I said, the evidence is growing all the time that one infection, if you've been infected, basically, it's a bit like a vaccination. And you, and you should be protected. The only question then is how long? No, and we still don't know. The, the latest they've looked, the virus has only been around, you see, for what, just under a year, a year now. Yeah. So there's a great city in California by great immunologists, a guy called Shane Crotty. He sounds Irish, but I think his great grandfather was. They've eight months of protection post-infection. Really good evidence that the troops are there in spades eight months out, which is great, you know, and let's see if that continues. I guess. Um, okay, so... Louise, when will we know if vaccinated people can transmit COVID-19 to each other? We're looking at that. We're looking at that as we speak. Yep, that's right. Sharon, I have flights booked for the 26th of June since May last year. I'll lose the money, €2,000 for a family of five if the flights aren't cancelled. What are the chances I'll be able to travel by June if the most vulnerable are vaccinated? If negative tests are all that are required, it's a problem because 10 tests would work out very expensive. I don't think that's happening. No. My advice on travel is this. Are you ready? Yeah. If you book a holiday in the summer, make sure you can get a refund. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Because it's a risky thing to do. But that looks like she's going to lose that money. I'm afraid so. Sorry, Sharon. The worry there, you see, the new new news that we don't like is these new variants. There's still unknowns there. And is that because, like, if we we take a long time to roll out these vaccines, are we giving the virus more time 
to learn the vaccine and be like, oh, look, they've changed their game plan. Yeah, what's happened now is the urgency Change of the vaccination hat. has got much more because if you don't vaccinate lots of people, the virus could spawn new variants in people, you see. And then this is the other reason to vaccinate the developing world because that's the place where that might happen. So there's a massive urgency to get the vaccine into as many arms as possible to stop these new variants coming, basically. You know. Now, I do think it's a low risk, though. I mean... These variants that we have now, the antibodies work against them. There's still some protection, you see, with the vaccines. Right. The worry would be another one will come along that's even more difficult. And then that pushes everything back because you've got to make a new vaccine, Yeah, <laughs> which it seems like a real challenge, doesn't it? So, um, and so it's my understanding that the, the virus mutates pretty much in everyone. Like there's tiny little mutations, but then there are these significant ones where the, the baddie learns to change his hat. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's a whole new issue. That's right. It's yeah. a random event. That The hat changes randomly. And the more offspring the virus has, the more likely it is that a new hat will emerge because okay. that's the way it works. And we think what's happened is, by the way, the, the UK variant, the yeah. B117, probably grew in a body of someone who was immunosuppressed. Oh. And their immune system couldn't contain it. It was chronic. You know, they kept, kept dividing and dividing. Eventually, a cowboy it. appears a different hat. And that's where that, that's where that one came from. Right. Um, so Sinead and Trish and Laura and loads of people asked... Um, if you had the unique option to have access to Sinopharm, Pfizer, Oxford, AstraZeneca, what would you choose given the uncertainties around the new variants? Um, so I think you've said Sinopharm, have you? Because well, if I was vulnerable, if I was an older person, certainly I'd go for Pfizer because that's a strong vaccine, 90%. It worked in older people. The AstraZeneca one, if you're not in a vulnerable group, you can take that one. You see what I mean? So in other words, okay. the goal is to protect the What's vulnerable. What's your risk? Really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so are the and they also asked about the difference between Pfizer, BioNTech, AstraZeneca and Janssen. Yeah. So again there's slightly different ways of making the spike. Yes, okay. You see. So so the Pfizer one is the RNA recipe. AstraZeneca is the DNA. So the recipe. RNA is teaching you how to make the hash exactly, for yourself precisely. so that you can fight your, it. Your own cells read off the recipe and you make it, you see. So that's RNA. RNA. And then the AstraZeneca is DNA and did you know Stephanie DNA makes RNA? And RNA makes protein. So you get the protein eventually. So okay. it's like two steps away. And then um, the Novavax one is the spike itself, the protein. So, okay. so they're all slightly different. Um, I'm a 35-year-old teacher. Uh, I have mild asthma. Um, sorry, I think this is Louise and Dee who've asked the same sort of question. Um, I was on an inhaler, but I never struggled too much. I got COVID in October. I'm struggling with tightness in my chest, especially at night. My GP says I have long COVID. Is there any data to suggest things will improve for me? I'm struggling at breathlessness. It's making me very anxious. Are there any treatments in the pipeline for people outside of hospitals recovering with COVID? I'm taking vitamin D, paracetamol, and I'm taking air when I can and resting. I'd love if there was something to help me. Well, the, well, the, the good news there is long COVID doesn't go on forever. The study's shown that now. Okay, so it's long COVID, three, not eternal COVID. Three, six months kind of thing. Now, some go on for longer, so there's a range. And again, it's a work in progress because it's a new virus. But some, some resolve. It's a bit like there's a scar in your lungs, actually, is one way to think of it. And that scar impairs your lungs and it just takes time then for the scar to resolve. Like, you know, when you sprain your ankle, if you're older, it can take longer to heal. It's yeah. a bit like that in a way. So there know? is hope inside. There's definitely hope, yeah, no question. But you were talking about vitamin D in the paper. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well, again, the evidence got stronger, a bit like the masks in a way, right? So yeah. The evidence got stronger and stronger. Now, it was mainly based on correlations. They said, look, high vitamin D means less severe COVID in countries where it's high, there was less disease. And, and is that, that because of, like, 
vitamin D or because it's a sunny place and uh, people are outdoors more. That's the problem. More. There's called confounding variables there. It's like yes. vitamin D is different in these places. But that correlation got stronger and stronger and it became almost, you know, fully believable, I guess. Okay. But more importantly than that for me personally is we know vitamin D is a wonderful thing for the immune system. It really kicks up your macrophages and your T cells and we know exactly why. In other words, it isn't just some sort of notional yeah. take an extract of this you know, warted frog or whatever it is. Yeah. We know what vitamin D does, you know. So so that gives that that means that the correlation is probably correct. And then there it's was also one trial. Do no harm. Absolutely. Well, the dose can be too high. You've got to watch the dose. Oh, right. So okay. go so for the recommended dose. Yeah, the, totally I think it's 800 units or something. And then the other good news, apart is there was a study in Spain, a trial. We'd, lo- we'd love a big double-blind placebo-controlled trial. That's your goal, Santa. But of course, during a pandemic, it's hard to do. But the Spanish have done a, a small-scale trial, and it showed a good benefit, you see. So I'm looking now for the government. Right to recommend the following dose for everybody and especially older people because they can't make enough with sunlight in their skin you know because that's an issue for older people are inclined to be vitamin D deficient and you can't get enough in your diet probably in the winter you heard it here first guys take vitamin D that's right precisely Jackie when 80% of the population is vaccinated surely we can resume normal life the government doesn't seem to be giving the impression that we will see any normality this side of Christmas well we've talked about that that's the hope precisely I, I can't see them not allowing a lot of opening up if we get to 80% vaccination. A lot of norm, a lot of opening up, but I think you, these people are asking for normal life, like pre-COVID life. Because of our cautiousness and our concerns and our folk memory of this pandemic. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in that way. Yvonne, questions for Luke. Are the original trials following up with those who are in it to identify if the vaccine wears off or if top-up doses are needed, or how does all that work? They are indeed. Yeah, that's called pharmacovigilance. And yeah. it's a part of every drug, really, every medicine. It's sometimes called a phase four, because the phase three is before it's approved. They're following these patients now in Israel. They're being prodded and poked at every sample, just because they know the world will benefit from that knowledge, you see. So that's a very important And that's how they're going to find out if people are spreading it still. With the COVID vaccines, you can still get COVID with a milder dose. Is this how all vaccines work or do some other diseases prevent you from contracting things completely? Depends on the vaccine. Some completely protect and some end up with less protection and and, and you getting infected and spreading it, interestingly. So there's a big range there. Depends on the vaccine, really. That's kind of all my questions. Someone else has asked, "What will life like be in Ireland? Life be like in Ireland in September?" I don't know why she's picked September, but do you want to paint us a picture? Um, September. Will all schools be open? All schools normal? will definitely be open. That's for that because that's such a <laughs> tell har- Norma Foley. Well, it's so harmful. To, I mean, again, if you're, you're you're balancing risk, aren't you? There, yeah. you know, it's so harmful to have the schools closed for yeah. all. That's long-term mental health problems, educational. Mm-hmm. Problems. Previous pandemics, Jonah and Africa, for instance, because we've been here before. You see, of pandemics, yeah. three months out of school in an African country was even fifteen years later. There was harm done to those kids, and they couldn't get the same kind of job. And so we've got to get the school open. That's mission one, really, in many ways at the moment as well. Of course, in Ireland, they got to reopen the schools as soon as they can. Um, I have a question and we'll finish on this. What, what was my question? Oh, yeah. Does, so yesterday I was watching the HSE briefing and Tony was talking about how he's a little bit concerned that the reducing numbers are plateauing too high. Is it possible, now this makes it sound like the virus has a brain, but is it possible that the virus has realised that we're standing two metres apart and that we're washing our hands and wearing a mask and has somehow become more contagious in order to, like, stop the two metres from being effective. Well, the virus only has one mission, and that is to jump from me to you and you to someone else and divide and then keep spreading, you see. so, And the worry we have there is the new UK B117 is more transmissible, so it is able to stick more. 
into your lungs than, than so the previous it's spike one. Here. It's spike here, precisely. Now the two meters is notional. Remember, okay. Nobody did an experiment. Is it two meters? Is it one point nine? One point eight? One point seven? You know, two is pretty good because yeah. droplets fall to the floor. The aerosol can get to you though, remember, and that's why being outdoors is so important because the aerosol blows away. Right. See, okay. So. But these things are a bit are a bit sort of a guide. They're not definitive, you know. And equally, the percentages of the vaccine, strangely, they're kind of ballpark figures because it's just one trial. And you can't compare the Pfizer vaccine to AstraZeneca because they had different criteria. You know, it's not it's not a head to head comparison. You see, so what were their do they set their own criteria? They do each try, but they're, they're globally similar. But there will be nuances here and there. Maybe a different country was used, or maybe a different health service was okay. deployed. So you can't really compare them head to head in a way. And it wouldn't surprise me if they all end up around seventy okay. percent. So and we don't know that, by the way. But but that's something that's in our minds. And and the, the worry we have with AstraZeneca is it's only sixty two percent. You see, why would you take a 62% vaccine when a 90% is there, you know? Now, if you can't get the 90%, you should take the 62% because any vaccine is going to help you, you see, is the way to think of it. But Which would be your favourite one if you had to pick one? I'd go for the highest percent. Which is... Yeah, well, mind you, I haven't said that now. Let me, let me rephrase that. I would go for any of them. Yes. I would. If I was offered any one of them. But if you were I'd offered, if I sat here with you and I put them, I was like, here's this one and here's yeah. this one and here's this one. And because you've been so good all through this <laughs> pandemic, Luke, you can have any one you want. Which did you pick? I put the four of them into one syringe and take all four just to be on the same. <laughs> and a shot of vitamin D to and a chase shot of it. vitamin D is right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're being great at not answering that question. I'm going to leave you off. Luke O'Neill, as ever. Thank you so very much. We will definitely have you back. I really wished the last time that we wouldn't need you back because 2021 would be the end of it. But look, here we are. Um, as ever, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Stephanie. And to my listeners, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Basically. If you have any questions that you want to send into the show, not for Luke, because obviously he's been gone now. I'll let you know when he's coming back. You can email them to basically at headstuff.org. Thank you for the Headstuff Plus community subscriptions. They really help us. If you want to become a Headstuff Plus member and get extra bonus material, it's headstuffpodcast.com forward slash register our music is by Only Ruin our graphic design is by Kahalo Gara and as ever we are produced by the Headstuff Podcast Network This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.